You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 262, Tracy Rhodes and the Case of Holy Envy. You can get things from other traditions. Well, hey, friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I am so glad that you are here. Uh, definitely, this is going to be a great conversation today. Uh, if you, well, we're going to have a conversation, and I'm, I'm excited about it. I know we're going to talk a lot about the church. I've been reflecting a little bit uh, lately on this quote. My first class back at seminary when I went back to Denver Seminary, Dr. Scott Winnig, I was in a, a class with him, and he said, "There's you can criticize the church, there's a lot to criticize, but first you have to love her. And for some reason, that comes up as maybe appropriate for this conversation that we're going to have today. Our guest, she's an author and Bible teacher, Tracy Rhodes. Tracy, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you for having me. Yeah, look forward to it. I'm glad to... Yeah, I'm glad to make the connection. Uh, you're you're uh, you're kind of a Twitter boss, right? You're on Twitter and you're, you're tweeting all the time. That's where we found each other. Uh, I, you know, it's it's a lot to say. You're a writer and a Bible teacher, but what does that mean? Tell us about a little more about you. Sure. Um, started. Well, I say I've been writing since second grade. <laughs> I have a story <laughs> that my mom was wise enough to save. Remember that, like spelling paper that you used to have that had the really big, mm -hmm. like blue and uh, red lines. So my story's on that. Yep. And I now have it framed in my office and I'm also good friends on social media with my second grade teacher. So, so cool to see it all come full circle. I've told her that I do have that frame picture still of a story. That's cool. But then, um, you know, wrote off and on, personally, you know, throughout the years and my career out of college was in marketing, public relations. So I did some more formal um, journalist typewriting. And in 2014, I found myself um, with a little daughter. We had a little girl at that point and I was not working full time outside of the home. And so I thought, I'd been writing some for my local church for the women's ministry there. I thought I would try to do this thing called blogging. Didn't know what, yeah. barely knew what it was. Um, it was nothing that I had personally been reading much. I just knew that it was out there. And so I started doing my research, found some blogs right off who are actually still such influential people to me today. They've since written books. Um, started me down the winding path that I took online and started my blog, Traces of Faith. And right away, I started finding that I wrote more and more about church. And as I was finding these different bloggers and reading different books that they introduced me to and then reading their books, I started learning about church traditions and spiritual practices that were brand new to me. Mm. I had grown up Southern Baptist, a uh, very small town, conservative environment. 
And I knew of some other denominations. Uh, there was a Methodist church up the road for me. My best friend in high school was Catholic, but had never really explored what, what that meant. Uh, probably in my mind at that point, if you had asked me, I would have thought I would always be Southern Baptist, uh, had a wonderful yeah. church experience. But as I read these books and these blogs and started writing myself, I developed what I call a case of holy envy. Oh, interesting. And what I discovered was these people were experiencing Christ in a way that I never had. And I was jealous of that. You know, I thought one of the first things I learned about, and it's actually the introduction in my book, was Ash Wednesday. And when I read about it, you know, again, 2014, 2015, in some blog posts and what have you, I thought back and I thought, I do remember an experience with Ash Wednesday. I did not attend, but when I lived in St. Louis, there was a coworker of mine and we used to take trips just short like in this particular instance we were taking a short train ride from st louis to hannibal missouri and when we were at the train station waiting to board the train there was another gentleman there and he had a smudge on his forehead oh yeah and i I kid you not i was like somebody needs to tell this man he has a smudge on his forehead. Like, did he tend the fire right before he left home? And, you know, or did his coat have some ash on it from a, you know, bonfire or whatever? This, this poor man walking around with ash on his forehead. So I asked my coworker about it and she was more, more well-versed than I was in Catholicism at the time. And she said, Oh, today is Ash Wednesday. And that was, the, and so she, you know, briefly explained it to me. So all these years, probably that's probably a decade, 12 years later, I'm reading about it for myself. And I think, you know, my church does not do an Ash Wednesday service, but I could go to one, like I could visit, right. And try an Ash Wednesday service. And so I did. And that was one of the first rare, I'll say, um, different for me, church experiences that I had. And I wrote about it on my Facebook page and blog afterward and it engaged my readers um, more than many different posts that I had done. And that kind of became the direction that the blog went in exploring these different traditions, learning from other Christians rather than arguing with other Christians. And there's plenty of writing material in that topic. Um, I, I continue to visit, I have had numerous wonderful, um, experiences in, in the different church traditions. I have tried so many different spiritual practices at home that again, I wouldn't have even known of when I was a little girl growing up in my church. So it's, uh, open the floodgates as I like to say. And well, that's a, yeah, that's a fascinating journey. I love that. I can relate to it quite a bit. Um, I, I often say that I went to, uh, college to learn to study the Bible and seminary to learn to pray, but that meant that I had to get outside of my tradition. Right. Because, uh, so I did some things like the Ignatius, uh, I forget what he calls it, spiritual exercises, right down. Mm-hmm. There's a 
Jesuit retreat center not far from me, my favorite place in the world, mm-hmm. so peaceful. The deer will walk right up to you. So I've been on that journey a little bit, but so let's let's dive into kind of a little more about that whole journey because I think it's really fascinating. I, I sounds to me like I know this is true. Uh, there's you found out that there's an audience for that. You're not the only one who's also exploring, exploring and asking maybe is there more meaning here than we've maybe thought. Um, where are you now? Where did, what part of the world are you in now? I live in Michigan. You live in Michigan. I grew up in Missouri in the country. And when I moved to Michigan uh, and we started thinking about having a family, I knew I wanted to offer that to my daughter as well, if I could. Uh, Life as a kid in the country. And so, yeah, we live on a piece of land outside of Grand Rapids. Super cool. Well, Grand Rapids is a good place to be, too. It's kind of a, kind of a, uh, super center for books, right? Like there's all the, all the publishers are there. Um, okay. So that's great. So I will, I do just want to acknowledge it's, it's calmed down now, but you, you've got, so like when you speak, it sounds like you're an angel because you've got, you've got the, <laughs> you've got the, the wind chimes there. Uh, but it looks great. I, I love, by the way, I've also been to Hannibal, Missouri. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I've, yep. I've, we, uh, my in-laws lived in Missouri for a while. So we went there cause you had to drive to the Walmart, uh, like an hour to get groceries. Yes. Country living, right? Yes, exactly. All right. Well, see, you grew up in, in, uh, in Mm -hmm. Missouri, in the country. That's great. What, so you kind of described that you maybe Southern Baptist sort of tradition. So what was that like for you as a kid? Was, was you kind of always knew, knew the Lord and kind of always had that spiritual faith practice? I have always been to church. Um, my mom actually, when she was pregnant with me, was baptized and at, she had grown up in the church as well, but made it her own, I would say, whenever she was um, a young mom. And so I spent those years in, in a very small country church, like Easter Sunday, we hit 75. So it it was a small church um, and we were actually distantly related to a number of the people in the church, but I spent those years watching my mom grow in the Lord. I would attend Bible studies with her and these sweet older women, I can still see them in my mind. They would do Bible study with my mom. There'd be two or three of us kids that were usually running around like crazy <laughs> on the various farms yeah. where, cause we would meet at people's houses, not in the church usually. And so I experienced her hunger for God's word. I experienced seeing her life change as Christ formed her in a more Christ-like um, being. And I think, I think that helped me see right off what a person growing in the Lord and what a person who continued to hunger for God would look like. Um, And I knew I wanted that for myself. Um, In the Southern Baptist tradition, I went forward during the altar call invitation at the end of the service. As, yep. as near as I can recall, I, I'm claiming it. God might tell me I'm wrong someday. I The song playing that morning was just as I am. 
And I, of course it was. <laughs> and I waited three or four verses. Uh, there's a lot, so there's time. Um, before I, I walked the aisle and prayed to ask the, the Lord into my heart. And we, we went from there. A few weeks later, I was baptized. Um, probably about third, fourth grade. I kind of, re I remember teaching, you know, some of the younger children. I, I worked at the nursery. I did preschool kiddos. By the time I was in high school, I was teaching. Um, I, I just, you know, it's funny how you did all these things and you kind of remember it, but then there's like these milestone moments, I'll call them. Yeah. I remember teaching third and fourth graders at the church we attended when I was in high school. It was, it was no longer the church in the country. My book walks through that. This was the church in town, as I call it. It was a first Baptist church. And the story that morning was Moses and the burning bush. And so whenever the kids came in, I had a little sign by the door that said, take your shoes off. You're standing on a holy ground. And, it, oh, that was, you know, that created quite a stir, you know, oh my gosh, my feet are going to, you know, I, I don't want to take my shoes, all these things. Um, but still to this day, I teach our children at church now as well. And I think those, anytime you can make the story tangible, anything that you can do that yeah. rocks it a little bit is how they will then remember those stories and, and kind of take ownership of them for themselves. So was somehow or another doing that even at a young age and continue to love um, teaching the Bible, reading it. No, a, a whole nother. Yeah, it sounds like you always, <laughs> right, right. Hold another level, yeah. right? So it sounds like you had this sort of idea, uh, that sort of tactile kind of tech, tactical way of thinking about scripture uh, as long as you can remember. Yes, scripture. And I would say that has since moved into worship. It has. Mm. And I think that's what I was. That's one of the things I was so envious about whenever I started looking at these other church traditions and reading about them. You know, you look at the Catholic tradition. And there's always candles, right? Like, I hardly know what those candles are for. But there, there are always candles to light. Uh, when you walk in, you dip your hands in the holy water and, and cross yourself. So you're using both your touch and you're using, you know, hand, hand movement as well. Um, mm -hmm. You go to the Orthodox church and you can smell the incense. And so, yeah, there are times that I've also thought through and written about. Do we use our five senses? In worship, in church, right. in Bible study, et cetera, do we need to? Is there a benefit to doing that? Uh, certainly things I've explored. Absolutely, yeah, which is really interesting. So was your tradition like mine as a kid where you didn't really do a lot of that? Because we didn't, like, it was it, maybe a little, but we always thought, oh, that's, you know, that's kind of, uh, kind of rote, right? Or kind of like, yeah. oh, it's just, just uh, you know, an action that doesn't really have any meaning, which is totally wrong. And in, in my mind, I will even go so far as to say it was too Catholic. Anything that, yeah, um, sure. that spoke of being Catholic was, it, it, you know, I still push back against it. Sometimes I'm so amazed. I'll, um, 
I was on, I share my articles and different things on Pinterest. I had no idea that you went to Pinterest for anything but recipes, but you do. <laughs> people <laughs> right. people will go there a lot and find um, articles on certain topics. And I was trying to find different pages where I might share my articles one day and came across this page that was called Christian blog posts. I don't remember the exact name of it, but something like that, Christian bloggers. And there was a note underneath the title that said, please no Catholic posts. Wow. And I was like, that's still our world. Like I <laughs> just last night came across another individual that, that thought they should share that, <laughs> that opinion. And yeah. I, that's so much of the work I do is looking beyond how we're different uh, and maybe how our theologies are different. And we could focus on that all day and people do. And that gets really ugly sometimes. And what mm -hmm. I am constantly trying to do is find our common ground and find how I can teach you and you can teach me something about our faith that will make it deeper and richer and you cannot count out Catholicism if you're going on that journey. They they have 100%. some things very right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But for me, it was I found um, like people like John of the Cross, right? Mm -hmm. Teresa of Avila. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of those those uh, people. Uh, and obviously, I mentioned earlier Ignatius, right? Like that. Uh, like that. They they were some people who understood the journey right they understood mm -hmm. what you were wh what it's like to to walk with jesus and they're just a few examples um and especially you know as, as protestants we like to start church history in the 1500s mm -hmm. with martin luther but there's a so there's a there's three times as long going back mm -hmm. even even further so we gotta we gotta think about that okay so it sounds like early on you, this was this was maybe you had that kind of view but you're maybe open to some other things that you didn't even know about maybe. Um, what, so where did that take you and how did your faith kind of start to become your own or what, how did you, how did you grow? Were there mentors or books or studies that you did that really kind of leave a lasting impression that, that s sent you on a, a certain path? How much time do we have? Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to start in a place that surprised me. I, when I first went to college uh, in the 90s, I went to a private Christian university. And I went there for one year and it was a good experience. The main reason I left is because I had a number of scholarships my freshman year that were one-time scholarships. Mm -hmm. And when I got the bill for what would be my second year, <laughs> I decided I was going to go in a different direction. Um, it, it's funny to me how there are practical reasons that God uses in divine ways, <laughs> right? So my second year, I lived at my parents. I moved back home and went to a junior college. And at the time, I don't know if it still does or not, but a junior college carried a little bit of a stigma with it, um, kind of a 
I gave up a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm yep. living with my parents. That's kind of embarrassing to go back home, you know, all these things. And I didn't expect to get, these weren't going to be like my best education years, right? This, this year was kind of going to be probably an off year. It was so not true. What, what a lesson for me to learn that there are teachers, there are good teachers everywhere, uh, good classes, good professors at any level of academia. And so this sophomore year, um, my one year that I spent at the junior college, there was a professor of humanities and I took it both semesters. So humanities one and two, and he introduced me to books like Antigone and Albert Camus, who is like a philosopher. I'm sure I'm butchering their pronunciations books I never would have read on my own because yeah. they weren't about Christianity. They weren't in my world. I, I even, I remember different students who were older than me going off to college and people would warn them, beware of philosophy classes because <laughs> they can right. make you lose your faith, right? And there, there was always a lot of, fear, even as a strong Christian, that something could cause me to lose, not my salvation, but just make nice. my faith wonky, <laughs> you know, right. new agey and weird and be careful, um, which I, I don't want to disregard completely. You know, we, we do need to have our firm foundations and we do need to, um, there's such a fine line, right? So I, I wrestle that all the time because absolutely. And you'll Hebrews, right? There's places where, where they say this, like, Hey, don't be, don't be led astray. Mm -hmm. Don't, you know, all those things. And yet, uh, there's also, there's a, there's a pride in assuming that we already have it all right. Mm -hmm. Right. That we're already, that we're unwilling to be open to, considering and, and letting and being teachable even from from the lord let alone any other tradition so uh i, I wrestled with that I, I don't know how so how'd that work out for you and would you where where'd that lead you well i i will respond first to your point that i too wrestle with that and one of my other conclusions that that you didn't mention is we can rely on the Holy Spirit for discernment much more than we do. What I yeah. typically find is that when I read books like Antigone, um, it was a play actually, and read these different fr from other religions or from other traditions in the church, as far out as you want to go, they typically have something to teach us about humanity, right? Which is the class that I was in. And I remember, right, right. I, I so appreciated the challenge that I was receiving from that class. I absolutely feel like those were my early days of making my faith my own, rather mm -hmm. than the faith of my mom, the faith of the churches that I had come from. Yes. And... I discovered that it became it became an opportunity for me to define 
what I believed and how what these stories would present were different than what I believed or fit somehow in what I, what right, I believed. Right. And I have uh, ever since those classes, I have appreciated the opportunity to do that. I think that's the engagement with books that we should have. Um, and you know, to the to this day, will I like to I like to go on social media. I'm on you know, and especially on Facebook in a different few different groups and stuff. And I like to go on a book a group that I know is highly conservative and mention a not so highly conservative <laughs> book recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> Just to just to shake it up a little bit, I like to. Um, I are are you going in there and dropping a little Rob Bell Love Wins or something to say, hey, read this quote? Yeah, I I don't think I've been that brave. Um, okay, good. but yeah, just just stretching the boundaries a little bit. Um, yeah, and if you, I'm on Goodreads, and so I keep you know a running track each year of the books I read. I won't recommend to you anything that I haven't done myself you know that that diversity is also in my reading piles um and yeah i just i think it's really important i think it develops better thinkers um i just this year i decided to take on brothers karamazov oh i'm blanking on the author which is terrible plus i probably wouldn't say it right but anyway um have not read many classics and so yeah. that's that's the one I came across, and it took me from February to August, <laughs> reading a lot of did other books it? in between. I finished it. I did, and so many passages, you know, that you'll continue to think about. That yep. and the characters represent so many different types of humans, but also believers. Um, yes. Yeah. So. It, it's good. It was a good exercise for me. Absolutely. Right. Well, Brothers K is Dostoevsky, right? So, yes, thank you. And, and he, yeah, and he uh, is brilliant. If you, Friends, if you have not read, you don't have to read Brothers K. It's, that's a big one, right? But um, I read, um, oh, now, now I'm going to blank on it. His other one that was really good. The other one that, guilt. that my friend recommended to me who likes this author a lot is The Idiot. Oh, interesting. I have it. I haven't read it. The other one is Crime and Punishment, and that is a brilliant, um, a brilliant reflection on what does it mean to like have guilt and and to get away with things. It's, it's amazing. So, anyway, Dostoevsky is really great. I love that. Um, okay, so that but that's fascinating that you that you do that, friends. You should read uh, Crime and Punishment if if you haven't or. If you're brave like Tracy, tackle Brothers K. That's good. Uh, okay, so but but what you took from that is like, hey, there's a lot to to reflect on, right? And to and to kind of move move forward with, which is I think an interesting spiritual discipline to to think about reading, particularly classics, but other other things as well. For instance, I like one reason I read Harry Potter is because some Christian leaders were telling me not to. <laughs> right but I, f- I found a lot of a lot of value in that so 
Um, I can I can relate to that. So where did you go from there? Like you, so you're so in this humanities class. I love that that didn't, even though you were afraid, or the prevailing idea at the time was like, oh, be afraid, be afraid of the philosophers. You studied it and you came out like, oh, I'm gonna make my faith my own that way. Uh, so where did you go from from there, and and what happened after that? My junior and senior year, I spent in Springfield, Missouri and attended and graduated from Missouri State University and still stayed on a very conservative track. Um, you know, attended uh, the Baptist Student Union a little bit, was super active in my college class at church, met and was shepherded by one of my favorite pastors to this day, uh, really just a legend. Um, Dr. John Marshall out of Springfield, Missouri, uh, has since retired, but will preach until the day he dies. <laughs> Absolutely. So it felt quite an honor to be able to be, be shepherded by him and sit under his teaching. And after graduating, I moved to St. Louis, started seeing a few glimpses of other denominations, um, attended a Baptist church at first, but then actually ended up in a Presbyterian church. Uh, again, for mm. a very practical reason, I was single and it had the best singles group in town for churches <laughs> and, or at least a strong one. So started attending a Presbyterian church and I didn't ever join. Uh, it, I wouldn't have known how I have no idea how Presbyterians join another Presbyterian church. I only knew the Southern Baptist way of walking down the aisle and transferring your membership. Yeah. So did not join, but <laughs> one of the lasting impressions I have of my, I, I probably attended that church for a couple of years was this deep love of Bible study. I remembered the first time our college minister told us that I forget what book we were going to study, but we were going to start a study on a book. And he said, bring your Bible and your commentary. And I thought, oh, goodness, oh, yes. Wow. And so that's a lasting impression I have from the Presbyterians, a very um, scholarly, serious look at Bible studies. So shout out to them for that. Um, I met my husband in St. Louis near my the end of my time there, and he is a Michigan native. And so very shortly, yes, uh -huh. very That's shortly thereafter, we lived in Michigan, we moved to Michigan. As a newly married couple, we attended a non-denominational church um, outside of the Detroit area. Did it, the only thing we knew, I, I call it in my writing, I call it the parking lot ministry. Uh, the only thing we knew from the two churches that we visited in that area the first Sunday that we visited a particular church, as the people were walking in, the men had on nice shirts and ties and the women were very dressed up and the children were dressed up and they were going, you know, this was um, I, going into a, a nice, beautiful, fancy church. And my husband said, I don't think this is a church for me. We, we visited. It, <laughs> it was fine. I don't recall anything to positive or negative about it. It was a typical church um, Sunday. And then the following week, we found a different church to try and we pulled up 
and there were men walking in in shorts and I believe if I remember correctly there was a boat that was taking up like three spots because after church they were gonna gonna head somewhere else that particular church (laughs) had purchased an old campground that had been a Christian campground for some time and when they sold the campground it was you know just not being used as much anymore the stipulation was that they wanted it to go to a church or another ministry. And so this church had gotten an amazing piece of land on a lake. And we went in that particular Sunday and the pastor, we would learn over the years that we were there, was not from, he did not have a seminary education. He actually had been, very lost in Florida, not a church going individual and kind of had a radical come to Jesus, um, salvation testimony and had moved to Michigan with his wife and family and was teaching there. And so it was kind of interesting, you know, nothing that you think of at the time, but looking back, he wasn't offering a, deeply intellectual seminary trained sermon but he gave some great sermons and my husband to this day can still tell you stories that pastor bob shared in those sundays at church so it was a good first experience for us Uh, my husband grew up in a different denomination than i did and so we walked that same journey many couples do of finding what church looks like together um, and deciding, are are we going to be this um, tradition that you grew up in or this tradition that I grew up in? So we've walked that road. Um, And truly it wasn't until I started writing myself in 2014 that I read too far outside of my own evangelical conservative tradition. I just didn't. Yeah. Um, I, and I don't, I don't know that there was any hard and fast reason. There's plenty to read. You know, I, I read all of Philip Yancey. I read all of Chuck Swindoll. Um, loved me some Beth Moore Bible studies. All, all of those gifts, right, that we have offered the world of Christianity, I enjoyed and I learned from and I I too loved um, to study scripture like so many of my evangelical brothers and sisters do and when I read I I wish I had jotted down some of my reactions when I first read these books because one book in particular I read and she's an individual who started a church I I can't, I'm not going to remember the name of her denomination but she started a church among the homeless in Los Angeles San Francisco gosh I want to say outside of Los Angeles and the way that she talked about inviting people to church and the things that they would do in church they were like nothing I had ever experienced. And then I found a gentleman um, by the name of Scott Cairns and he is a 
professor lives out in Washington and grew up Baptist and is now Greek Orthodox. And early on read a book by Scott called Short Trip to the Edge. And it's about pilgrimages that he takes to Mount Athos, which is a, a holy mountain monastery there within the Greek Orthodox tradition. All of it just blew my mind. There's no other way to say it. Um, well, how did it shape you? Like, what? how did that kind of change how you were thinking or it made my faith wider absolutely um hmm. and i didn't realize how much wider would take me deeper <laughs> you know i think of that song often uh de yes. deep and wide right like i look back on that and i'm like what theological truths were we learning in deep and wide because we sure did sing it a lot <laughs> in vacation bible school right but that's that's what happened to my faith um I was finding Christ, Christ-like qualities and spiritual fruit in all of these situations that mostly were brand new to me. A, a few, um, maybe I would have been afraid of, but mostly it was just new. You know, I remember I, I was, uh, for a time yeah. at my current church, I gave announcements before we'd start praise and worship time. And in talking with the worship pastor, he mentioned the word liturgy to me and I had to go home and look it up. Like I wasn't going to admit to him that I didn't know what the word litur liturgy was, but <laughs> I didn't. And so another word to add to my, um, to my ever growing vocabulary regarding church and what does liturgy mean? You know, can, can a, an evangelical church have liturgy? Is liturgy only for what you'd call high church? Oh, yeah. All of it just starts um, well, these trails. Right. Well, they've got one. They just don't right. want to admit it. Right. That's that's all. The, say, the same with rote, <laughs> as you mentioned earlier. We we sure do have our exactly. rote praise and worship songs, but <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Fascinating. We just feel better about that. <laughs> then we do the others. Interesting. Okay, so I think that's super fascinating. So what you said there is that just that blew my mind. Going wider mm -hmm. took you deeper, right? Isn't that astounding? I think we have a whole education system from Sunday school all the way through doctoral studies that are predicated on the opposite idea mm -hmm. that if you just stay in the one in our one little one little tradition that will be will be you know all good and uh maybe that's not true and you certainly found that to be different anyway i'll put it that way i won't i won't, I won't go further than that but different in your in, in your experience so okay so you you started studying these traditions i actually want to dive into that a, a little bit but before i do i want to know like so was was this a was it a dark night of the soul for you at all? Like, did you have any, did you have to grieve some things or did you have maybe another dark night of the soul that, that went, that kind of helped shape you as well? Out of respect for those who have had traumatic dark nights, 
of the soul. Hmm. I would say, I, I use the word in my book, I would say my faith has been somewhat idyllic. Um, we, it, it has okay. not been perfect. I was a product of a church split when I was in high school. Um, in, if I have my math correctly off the top of my head, in nine years, uh, the country church I attended went through four pastors and they were getting ready to have their fifth come oh, in. Wow. And my mom said, that's enough. We need um, a little more stability. And so the church in town, the First Baptist Church, had a pastor who had been there for like 25 years. So we went from one extreme to the other. Uh, gosh, that switch was really, really hard for me. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is interesting because that's one like set of problems. Right, to a different right. Set of sure, sure. Absolutely. Right. Um, and, and I think you <laughs> learn that. Uh, I, I address that right away in my book. If you expect to find a church that won't hurt you, you won't. Um, the, the church is very much a human institution. Um, the, the longer I'm a Christian, the more I write, the more I explore, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think our eyes on Jesus is the absolute best prescription that we can give any, any Christian, whether they're deconstructing, whether they're getting ready to go to seminary, whether they are retiring, whether yeah. they're, the list goes on and on. I, I, it sounds so simple. We sang it in a hymn when I was a little girl, but turn your eyes on Jesus and, you know, look full in his wonderful face. Yeah. Um, it, it has saved me more than once. So not, not, dark, not dark nights of the soul like you were probably thinking. Um, yeah, yeah, which is, well, go ahead. It's, that's interesting. Uh, but there is a way that going through uh, and, and learning and kind of broadening your perspective is that even if it wasn't a painful one, right? It is a little bit stripping away some of the things that you thought were true and giving you some new, some. And new I have absolutely done that over and over and over and over. Um, yeah. And I think what I, I mentioned to you before we went on, I was going to re read a section, just like a paragraph or two from my book. And I, I think it will fit here. It is pretty early on in the book. I talk about what I referred to earlier of a time when we left the country church and we joined, became members at the church in town. And there was a woman who, it, after you joined the church at this particular um, First Baptist in town, you would stand down front. And after church, everyone would come and shake your hand and welcome you to church and introduce you, yeah, yeah. introduce their family to you so you could kind of start getting to know people in the church. And she came down and she had spent, uh, she was maybe four or five years older than me. She had spent some time in both of the churches, both the country church we were leaving and now the church that we are moving to. And, well, I'll read it from here. One woman who had attended okay. Mount Pleasant sporadically in her younger years approached me toward the end of the receiving line. I guess she thought she knew my situation. With a sense of bewilderment, she asked, 
Why are you crying? This should be an exciting today to join our church and start a new chapter. She would be the first of many to tell me I took this church thing a bit too seriously. I have a difficult time criticizing the church, even when it's deserved. Does God give some people an extra dose of love for the church? And if so, what are we supposed to do with that? These are musings I continue to live into. So when you ask me questions about the dark night of the soul, and when you ask me questions about what it, deconstruction, right? That's, that's a lot of what you're asking. And that's certainly right. the phrase that is commonly used today. Partly my lens, partly my love for the church. And, and I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to make suggestions about how we could <laughs> make our church experiences better. I'm just not very good at them sounding critical. Um, <laughs> that's, that's great, though. Well, we need that voice, don't we, Tracy? For better or worse, I, I do have a good friend here locally that whenever we talk about things of church, she gets so mad and so passionate and so fired up. And she's like, I guess the church needs both of us. And I like, I like that. Um, That's right. I, I don't, and anyone who reads um, my book will realize that I don't pretend our problems aren't there. I just want to be proactive about our problems. And I think Jesus can solve them better than I can. Hmm. Um, yeah. 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 Fascinating. Mm -hmm. What, how do you think, or how have you come to think? I, I was going to ask you how you think Jesus thinks about denominations and that's probably not a fair question, but how, how do you think about them today? And how, and so it sounds like that's changed quite a, quite a bit. And you found some, maybe some treasure in other traditions that, that you wouldn't. Yeah, you know, before. early on in the journey, when I first learned about the great schism, schism, is that how you say that word? Um, right around a thousand yeah, yeah, yeah. AD, when the Catholic church and the Orthodox church split, I had in my right. mind, I think naively that everything was happy and everybody got along and there were no issues. And then they split over something silly and the church has been splitting ever since. And that's not quite true. If I, an excellent book, you asked me earlier about books and I mentioned really no names. Um, I read a book early on by Scott McKnight that was called Fellowship of Difference, like different with an S and realized that I was not right <laughs> in my conclusion that we had all gotten along wonderfully until 1000 AD. Looking at the disciples, 12 apostles, they were different, radically different. That's a super fun study to do. And Jesus brought them together. And then you have all of these councils in the early church. Uh, and they were working out what do we have in common and what do we have that's different. So again, the different was there. And it continues... Uh, the Reformation, you can take it at any point in history. And I realized that it wasn't about the people of God. It wasn't about Christians trying to figure out how to all agree. It was about trying to figure out how to all be like Christ. 
together. And there's tension in that. And I think there should be. Um, I, I shouldn't, if you want to look at the most aggressive, liberal individual, I, I'm trying to think of who might come to mind. Um, and you want to ask me how I can be their sister in Christ. I say two things. I say, number one, have they had an experience where they declared Jesus Christ is Lord of my life? He, he is actually my Lord and Savior, a, a very personal thing. Perhaps they were baptized as infants, and so that might look different than it did for me with a believer's baptism at age seven. But have they had that moment okay. and moments continuing, right? And secondly, what spiritual fruit are they producing? And that's been huge for wow. me because there are a lot of people who I might say I disagree with theologically who are producing some really godly fruit and i yep and then i've had to explore what godly fruit looks like right we know the fruit of the spirit that we read in galatians 5 and we sing about love joy patience goodness kindness no love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control but go. there's other fruit that ministries um there's those who teach us to fall more and more in love with the Bible, there's endless amounts of godly fruit that that can be produced. And so I continue to push and press into that. And boy, there's a lot of people that have different theological opinions who, who are doing those two, who call Jesus Lord and who produce spiritual fruit. Hundred percent, yeah, and that's I think the key, right, to understand mm -hmm. is where is where where's the fruit and what's it producing? And some of the problems right now we're seeing in evangelicalism is some of the fruit's bad, right? Like we're even seeing a lot of even bad among stuff. our our little clan, yeah, <laughs> right, right, and it works on both sides of the deconstruction mm -hmm. idea, right? There's there's lots of that, and uh, it so absolutely, I think that's the right the right way to, to do that. So it's so fascinating to me, even, you know, you mentioned all those historical things like, yes, even the councils, we like to look at those particularly as Protestants and go, Hey, they made a statement and that's what we believe. And then that's good. But that didn't come about because everybody was all like buddy, buddy, right? It was because they were fighting about it and they decided, all right, let's go figure out what this means. Uh, and so they, they, we even see it in Acts 15, right? Like where yeah. where the the church gets together, the first council, and they're like, should people have to be circumcised, or what should we tell them not to do? That was a big deal, and people left that. Some people left that meeting mad, right? Yeah. I think we should yeah. we should just know that that's how it is because we're human beings, and I think like you said earlier, the Holy Spirit can lead us, right? And we have to we have to trust that as well. And then love one another in the midst of all of it. And it's it's not always easy, 
but it is it is the right thing to do. That's fascinating. Okay, so we have we've mentioned your book, but I don't think we've mentioned the title. And so mm-hmm. the book is called "Not All Who Wander Spiritually Are Lost," which is a really nice uh, Tolkien reference, uh, a story of church. So, um, why did you write that? Like, what, what were you hoping to kind of to kind of give to your to your readers through that book? One of the audiences that I had in mind whenever I wrote the book, probably my primary audience was individuals like me who had grown up evangelical and that wasn't enough for them anymore. Mm. And that could be because their experience sucked and they were extremely hurt. I, I have great respect and sympathy for those who are deconstructing, even if that wasn't my exact experience because church shouldn't hurt Like Jesus, he'll convict you all day long and the Holy Spirit will certainly do some mighty work, but he's not out there punching us. He's not, um, he, he's so much more loving than, than what the church has been, um, across the board. And so I thought about them as, as I wrote and I wanted to celebrate the tradition that we had come from because I have really fun and good memories of church potlucks and vacation Bible schools and Bible drills and pastors who were so influential in my life. Uh, Teachers who really began, helped me begin this process of blowing the, the doors wide open. But then I incorporated 16 other stories because my evangelical story about church is not the only one by any means. And so within the book, there's a story about a pastor's daughter who used to bake the communion bread and, and then get to eat the leftovers on Sunday night. There is a story about a, woman whose mom did not take her to church. And so she would catch rides with anyone she could. Um, and, and as a result, went to like eight different church traditions throughout her childhood because it was whoever had a ride for her at the time. Um, there's an individual who was very hurt by the church. And when he left his position as worship pastor and then left the church altogether, nobody reached out. And we explore mm. that. Um, an individual who grew up Seventh-day Adventist and had family members who would not attend her graduation because it was on the Sabbath. A- oh, and wow. what that, so it, this great big wider picture of church. And as I am discovering it, my readers are discovering it too through these different stories and through my different church visits and et cetera, et cetera. And so that, that audience was in mind. I also try hard to write for a Catholic audience. My publisher um, is the Episcopalian publishing arm of the church of the Episcopalian church. And so I, I kept Beb in mind too, because as I expressed my interest in the Book of Common Prayer, which is amazing, 
and I haven't even tapped into it at all. Hardly. And the the rigid not rigid that sounds like a negative term the highly organized liturgy that you find in a catholic mass i hope that i can also create a desire for them to try out a bethmore bible study and maybe sure sing a praise and worship song in the midst of their catholic liturgy service i i want it to go both ways i i want and that's so much of the work i do on twitter uh, i'm on the other social media outlets as well instagram and um, facebook yeah i i want a two-way conversation about my experience in the church and those like me and other people's experience in the church who is very different than mine. And I want to get to know one another. Yeah, I think there's value in each of the traditions. And if we would learn to appreciate it, uh, I think you're right. I've never heard it put that way, but maybe we go wider in order to go deeper. Um, uh, I'll, I'll put a link to this as well. Richard Foster had a, a one, something about that, right? Streams of living water, mm-hmm. I think he mm-hmm. called it, right? Which is uh, certainly in that in that vein as well. Love that. All right, Tracy, thanks for sharing some of your story. I think that's super fascinating. There's so much to explore within the, the traditions, and it uh, sounds like that shaped you a lot. Uh, people can find you. You mentioned your blog, tracesoffaith.com. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Just encouragement. Um, and I, I will add right here at the end, some of this can seem daunting to an individual. I have, I've had many people tell me they would gladly visit a Catholic church when they never have, but they don't want to do it alone. And so I would encourage you in the world we live in, there are so many virtual church opportunities. So if you want to do some of that from the quiet and comfort of your own home, feel free. And I would also assure you there are people in your circle, in your church, in your community who also want to do these things. So again, a lot of the reasoning behind writing my book, start, start a book club that takes a look at these and I promise you, you're going to be like, oh, I want to try and somebody else will want to try that particular spiritual practice or visit that certain church service too. And then lo and behold, you have someone to do it with. Perfect. Yeah, you don't have to be afraid, but you also don't have to be alone. I love that. Uh, Mm -hmm. Tracy, thanks so much for being here. really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 